Welcome to episode four of Producing Innovation. Uh, today, we have the great privilege of interviewing Kayla Sharp, who uh, is someone I've known and loved for many years, uh, who is joining us from San Francisco via uh, video chat. Uh, this is our first time doing that, and so um, we'll see how it goes. And, and here we are. On past episodes, I've asked <clears throat> my guest, uh, usually late in the episode, if if you could go back in time, knowing what you know today, and give advice to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? And with you, I oddly feel that somehow your future version of yourself already came back in time and gave your 20-year-old self a lot of fucking advice because you've managed to do some pretty incredible things uh, very early in your in your career. And rather than do an intro and tell everyone listening who Kayla Sharp is, um, I would love for you to just tell the story as I, as I've heard it and know it's, it's a, it's a bizarre and improbable story of, of, of a personal evolution and tell the story of that begins with you as an engineering student at Virginia tech in a fraternity and, and how the adventure that began one, one night at the fraternity where someone shared a video that you guys in the fraternity had made of, of doing a, a benefit for us, I guess, a school for the blind. I, I don't go to go too far into it, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just, you know, the, the, the not so abridged version of that story that began then and, and takes us to today. Totally. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on and, and hello world. How do you produce innovation? How do you produce anything? It's always been about reinventing a form. I think we're all in this room together because we believe in lifelong learning. It's all about persistence. If you give up, that's the end of the game. You have no chance. I wanted to go make my own mistakes in pursuit of, I didn't even know what at the time. Show up. Show up when you fail. Show up when you fail miserably. Show up when you don't want to show up. There's an audacity that I think is required to, to be a creator. Just start. Like, don't wait for permission. Sit down at the table with some of the great creators, some of the people who have cut new ground and found a new path and done things that are, like, improbable and ludicrous and wonderful and for which we should all be grateful in the worlds of art and theater and music and technology and innovation. I'm going to back up just a bit further and say that I was born in Utah to a Mormon family. My dad was a farmer in northern Utah with eight brothers and sisters. And my mom, uh, he met my mom in Korea when he was on his mission. So I was always kind of this half Korean kind of black sheep of the family from young age. And when I was 16, we moved to Virginia. Um, around that time, I started getting into video and photography. And, uh, and I was good at math and engineering and, and design. And I, and I liked the idea of doing it. So, they got, so I got into Virginia Tech and got into the engineering school. And, and two years in, I was just a little tired of it. I was tired of doing um, nine-page math problems that had one single number answer. And any just like minor mistake would just throw the whole thing off. And just kind of this feeling that like, my creativity and um, my being was kind of 
washed away by this sort of factory for diplomas and people to work within the system. And I kind of just felt like a number, um, you know, and I found a lot of support through community there. And that's how I got into the fraternity. Eventually, I never really thought of myself as like a fraternity person, but I had a roommate who was like, hey, I'm rushing this thing. Like, it would be really fun if you joined too. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, it'd be good to have like connections. So the night that I that I accepted my pledge that, you know, welcome to this, the beginning of your process of joining this fraternity, we went to this talent show, Anchor Splash. And on stage, I saw something that just blew me away. I was like, these guys have their stuff together. They have this really cool idea. And what they did was they made it look like three people were floating on stage and dancing using black light and, um, and uh, different forms of puppetry, essentially. And uh, and that blew me away. And that video kind of went viral within the campus. And then, and then on YouTube, you know, a hundred thousand hits later, um, the founder Greg submitted the video to America's Got Talent and we got on. <laughs> and yet this is a year after the original performance. And so they kind of put a call out to the fraternity, um, and we're like, Hey, who's, who's down to do this. We just need people who are dedicated to like rehearsing you know, we're going to figure it out. We don't know exactly what's going on yet. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and that's when I decided to join the team. And, and I think like one thing that we kind of come back to a lot was that like, this wasn't an original idea. We were inspired by what people were doing on the internet before. And we kind of stumbled across something really interesting and unique, but there was nothing, you know, none of us had performance backgrounds, creative backgrounds. Like we were engineering students, business students, health foods and nutrition like we weren't you know we were definitely not performers and we knew we weren't so we, we knew we had to like really step our game up and really like represent our school and our fraternity and our community well um so we get a call and they're like great we want to have you on audition we're going to fly you up to new york and we're like playing out all the scenarios in our head like what if they hate us if we get buzzed like keep going you know like what are people going to think and you know, we like showed up and there's people in these big costumes and we're just wearing like hoodies and sweatpants. <laughs> and, um, and we were just like, we don't, you know, we didn't, we had no idea. And we got on stage and we performed and, uh, and the room just went wild. It was the Hammerstein ballroom in New York. We just got a huge standing ovation and the judges loved us and we got sent to the next round and we were just kind of blown away that it worked out as good as it did and then also immediately really stressed out about having to come up with more performances because again we had no ideas on what we were going to do we were just kind of like winging along the way and then we got on America's Got Talent and um you know that was just kind of more of the same stressful stuff we didn't know what we were doing but we had ideas and concepts that we wanted to bring to life and um, a production crew that was extremely talented and well-resourced. And so we were able to try out a lot of stuff and we ended up getting third place overall in the show, performing for, you know, 12 million viewers per night, um, you know, performing with guest celebrities. And, um, and because we made it in the top 10, we went on a 24 city tour, which you can imagine 13 um, fraternity brothers in a tour bus, for uh, one and a half months going from city to city, um, traveling with our friends uh, and, and having to perform for, you know, like five or 10 minutes each show, like not, you know, we actually, we, we had a dream life, whether or not we actually realized in those moments, um, we had it really good. 
<laughs> and um, and then we came out of that and we're like, all right, well, here, here we are. We have 13 people in this group. We kind of adapted a structure that was similar to our fraternity, um, but we didn't have an operating agreement and we were 13 equal owners. And what ensued afterwards was us trying to turn this thing into a business. You know, a lot of people were like, you could totally take this to Vegas. You're the next Blue Man group. You're, you know, this thing could be huge. And, um, and yet, you know, we foundationally didn't have like the structures and processes in place and, you know, each person with like seven point something percent of the company. So it was just, uh, it was kind of chaotic. Um, But we started doing a lot of private and corporate events and started kind of figuring out how to, you know, make, uh, make money for our business and start our business this way. And, um, we did that for about five or six months and, and there was a point where we could not sustain our 13 people, the company anymore. And, and everyone kind of had to make the decision of like, are you going to go back to school? Are you going to do something else? Do you want to keep pushing forward with this? And, and at that moment in time, I had already been really just not, I was ready to not return to, uh, to engineering. Um, you know, while I value a lot of what I learned and like the, you know, the hard work that I, that I put into that, it, I was really feeling called to something more creative. And, um, and that's when, uh, and that's when I decided to go to Full Sail, which is a little for-profit school in Florida. I studied show production, which is essentially video lighting and sound for live shows and concerts. And I was learning exactly what I wanted to know you know I was doing a little bit of studio music work I was learning more about music and cutting stuff together at that point and started playing with DJing a little bit more and understanding lighting and power and you know all these components that went into creating these shows that I didn't know thoroughly that well before and um and I you know I thought was pretty important for us to understand moving forward with Fighting Gravity and um and I went to school there for two years, continued doing weekend gigs. And, and that's kind of been a staple of, uh, of the Fighting Gravity experience for the last uh, whew, eight years now. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's proved to have quite a bit of staying power. You know, what we do is still cool to watch. <laughs> um, so while um, I think we've hit some creative challenges, um, you know, we've, we stumbled across something really great. And I always come back to the fact that like, this was not an original idea. You know, anyone could have picked this up and done this and, you know, anyone could have found this window. Um, and, and yet, you know, we just did it. And, and that, uh, that made it just a huge difference. So, um, yeah, so I, I finished school in Florida and then that's when we were uh, working with a group of producers in New York to work on a full length show um, to put up in New York. And, uh, and that's when I met Michael. Um, and just like a rough story of it was that, you know, there's these three guys living in this kind of world and, and gravity is this essentially thing. And it's like all the forces working against you. It's kind of the voice in the back of your head that says like, no, nah, that idea is stupid. Like that's not going to work out or, um, or just the, the whole idea of like, well, this is the safe route. Um, you know, being an engineer is a good salary and that's what you should do. You should finish your engineering degree and get a good job first rather than kind of going for this alternative um, lifestyle. And in the story, uh, 
a, a window opens up essentially kind of this trap door, if you will, into a different world. And they step through this threshold and what they discover is a warehouse in, you know, a Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn, a warehousey part of Brooklyn, very artsy um, warehouse that they stumble into. And there's all these people who, um, who practice magic and, um, you know, channel this music. And there's kind of this whole wave of, you know, community of people who are doing this creative thing. And, um, and that piece of the story, I felt like I've rediscovered over and over and over again, which is like seeing a window or a trap door present itself and saying like, okay, I'm just going to do that <laughs> and try it out. And there's nothing wrong with like, you know, I can always come back or I can always do something else. But like this window is an opportunity to, um, some other world and I'm going to explore it. And then this, this world of discovery of discovering a community of artists and creative people and dancers like that has happened over and over again in my life. And I always reflect back to those moments where I feel super lucky and grateful for these trapdoors that present themselves um, because it has led to such a, such an amazing journey and, changed my life and career forever <laughs> and it keeps happening over and over again I start you know I just I see a new window into a new world and like a good example of that was when I discovered ecstatic dance in San Francisco it's at the church of eight wheels which is an old catholic church it's been gutted and on Sunday mornings you fill it with a bunch of hippies and bring in a dj for two hours and we dance and everybody really brings their full energy and it really feels like this kind of sacred space and that somebody um, opened up this door and window into this world. That story, Kayla, never gets old. This podcast, Producing Innovation, is just another way of saying, you know, being creative, producing creativity, um, and the, you know, bringing me back to the storyline of, of Fighting Gravity that we concocted that was really, to me, just inspired by you guys um, and telling your story was so much of what, this 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 podcast is all about and and what to me is you know me taking the best of the things that i've learned as a creative person as someone who struggled with but ultimately you know fights daily to overcome that voice that says don't don't do that that's a bad idea they're gonna laugh at you you'll fail you know <clears throat> and i think every person who's ever created anything has gone up against those voices be they an innovator in technology or an inventor of a of, you know, I always, I, we refer a lot to the Wright brothers and how they were two bicycle mechanics living in the middle of nowhere who had a belief and a faith that they were going to make an airplane when no one had ever been able to do that before and, you know, tinkered their way to success and changing the world. Um, you know, I think that you're a perfect example of, of that willingness to go into the, the trap door, to open up the door where a lot of people say, oh, that's, that's scary and weird. I'm out. I'm going the other way. Um, I, you know, I, I'd love to um, ask you about now about sort of where you are today and the types of creative work. You mentioned ecstatic dance. I know you're also a DJ. I know you've been a participant in some, you know, camps at Burning Man. I know that you're both contributing to and experiencing and consuming some of the most kind of groundbreaking immersive entertainment concepts 
out in the Bay Area. And I'd just love to hear you talk about where you're at today, what you're doing, what excites you in the creative landscape of 2019. So I ended up uh, working with Michael on a bunch of immersive theater projects um, after after the Fighting Gravity work. And um, that kind of started, that was another window of opportunity. Michael had offered me this, this gig to do Playdate, which was an immersive theater show we were doing at the time. And I told him that I you know, was really into music. I had started um, being, you know, being interested in DJing and music production and this sort of thing at that time. And, um, and Michael was like, great, we have this show about dating relationships. It's in a bar. We need a DJ. We need some people who can run tech. Like, are you interested? And I was like, yeah. And so for that summer was the first time I ever had a real DJ gig. And it was four nights a week in the Lower East Side with 18 other actors and actresses. And this was really, I think, my first community of artists in New York that I had discovered and really felt like home in. Um, and, um, and that kind of kept morphing into more and more projects with Michael and started bringing back in the concepts around video that I was doing and video editing, because I had kind of put it on the back burner for a little while. The other very long story that we won't necessarily get into right now is, is around my transition. And, um, and about two and a half years ago, I, uh, decided to come out. I was born, um, you know, boy in this world, lived uh, my life out that way for 25 years. And at 25, I came out publicly and moved to San Francisco and with my sister, um, just, you know, it felt like good family support. And San Francisco has always been um, a dream of mine to live in ever since I first came here when I was 17. And, uh, you know, upon moving, my sister was like, hey, you have an opportunity to, to reinvent yourself over again here. You know, if you want to change your name, if you want to do this, it's, it's going to be easier if people just know you right off the bat as that. And so when I did, um, it, was, I, it was like I got on the plane in New York. And, um, and when I got off the plane, I was kind of this new person, though, you know, I, I still see myself you know, viewing the world through the same perspective. Um, so when I moved to San Francisco, I started looking for immersive theater work because that's what I was really into. And immersive theater is a thing here. There's there's a few good good projects and shows and I worked on some for a while, um, but I didn't really feel like my talents were really going to great use. Um, and that's when I started exploring doing video more. And I started, um, making videos and I and I actually met somebody after Ecstatic Dance who uh, who worked at YouTube and got me my first video gig at YouTube, which was a program called Director on Site where they paired me with small businesses and I'd go around and make 30 second YouTube ads for these small businesses. The opportunity to carve out a new freelance world um, and to get experience working on very real companies and startups has, has really just kicked off my career here. And for the last two years now, um, I've been running my own freelance video business. Um, so when I first moved here to San Francisco, my sister took me to my first ecstatic dance. And I remember that moment, it was like I had discovered that warehouse in Bushwick. It was this massive church, people were dancing, the magic was flowing, and I got a taste of it. And I was like, wow, this is really great. And at this point, I'd been a little jaded by DJing. And I was like, you know, the world doesn't need any more top 40 DJs. I'm, I'm okay. 
And I went to the first ecstatic dance and I just remember feeling so inspired and so intrigued by this community and finding this group of people. Um, and that's when I started being inspired to DJ. And I was like, I really want to, uh, I love dancing and I want to DJ for other people who are dancing. And I mean, to, to be honest, I wasn't really much of a dancer growing up. And that was kind of the running joke in Fighting Gravity too, is that we weren't dancers. Like, sure, we could count music and we liked music and we had some musicality, but like, aside from our simple, like one, two step thing, you know, like we, we weren't, we weren't really doing much dancing or movement or exploration of movement. Um, and so I never really identified as a dancer. And even though we spent a lot of time with really amazing hip hop dancers who are super talented and who um, who I aspire so much to their creativity and style. Um, I, I had never really had that dance journey myself and ecstatic dance was a free form space which allowed me to explore movements in my own and at the time of my transition to exploring how movements can be gendered feminine or masculine and how I can use that to my advantage in expressing myself. And I think that that has made such a big difference in my life and my transition. Um, I think I feel so much more comfortable in social situations. I feel so much more comfortable on a dance floor wherever I am now after becoming so comfortable on a dance floor at Ecstatic. And, um, and more and more and more as I keep going week after week and building community and becoming really close with a lot of people and feeling like I found my family, I'm, I've, it's been a bigger and bigger dream to feed my love and energy back into the community through DJing. And music is something I, I hate to say it in this way, but I consume a lot of it. <laughs> um, it's kind of like it's that little extra little extra bump of energy that I get every week just by having a new set of 20 or so songs that feel inspirational or motivating or exciting to me. And I've just been doing that every week for, you know, the eight years or at least maybe even before that since Fighting Gravity. And so that's been a practice that I do for myself and the way I've been able to, uh, reshape the way I view DJing is that it's like I'm kind of a shaman of music like the music's out there but it's not reaching the people you know and I think it is a really valuable thing to bring music to people um, and in a space to feel inspired to see and be seen by each other um, and inspire each other's movements so uh, this last year I have just really kind of been persistent at it and kept pushing at it and um in this last fall I've I've just had some of the most fun I've ever had DJing parties or DJing um events or just this last weekend on Sunday we did a silent disco we met um my friend David built a mobile silent disco rig that's totally battery powered with 50 headsets and so we met right outside the church and it was like raining but the sun had just barely come out and I played for two and a half hours and we walked from the church to a park called DuBose Park where it's, a, it's like one of the fun, like coolest dog parks in San Francisco. And it was kind of going back and forth between these patches of rain and sun. And there was a rainbow at one point and um, we had probably about, you know, 30 to 50 people over the course of it all who were hanging out and dancing. This is kind of the first time I DJed for a lot of people within that community. So it was really, really amazing just to like 
have this thing materialize out of just these deep friendships and inspiration by each other. Um, and kind of, you know, something that held me back about DJing for a while was this question of like, is this an ego driven thing? Am I just doing this because I want to be the one at the front of the room in the control? And, you know, is this like me just wanting to like climb to the top? And what I've kind of come back to, or what I've always come back to is that, um, that I've seen the transformation that having a safe dance floor for me to express myself um, to know that I, you know, won't be, um, you know, disrespected or approached as a trans person, as a queer person, um, just as anyone, as I think in a lot of uh, alcohol fueled club environments, it's, it can be a little, a little bit shady. And to have these spaces where movement is, is encouraged variety is encouraged, um, like a range of music styles and genres is really encouraged. And I really, um, I really just appreciate that. And so what I've come back to is it's like, no, I actually just really care about having awesome dance floors and like holding off awesome dance floors for people. And so that's kind of where I've been with that pushing forward. I, I have a couple of ideas for new projects for um, for dance events and movement events, because I honestly think like I was telling people the other day that, you know how like Equinox has like gym memberships. If we had a club, a dance club that I knew was always going to be like a good dope dance floor, just like great DJs. And I could just pop in for an hour or two after work and just like get my dance on. Like that would be way more fun than any gym that I know of. And I feel like more people would want to go week after week because there's this constant um, inspiration of the muses and, and kind of this like freshness um, that, that we'd want to keep bringing back. So that's like a dream world scenario. Um, and maybe, maybe we'll get there someday. Um, yeah, so anyways, that's the DJing component. You know, you're constantly looking for innovation in, 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 in music and dance music and pop music and hip hop and, and all the genres that you pay attention to. Could you, you know, for the benefit of listeners, like what, what are you looking for or listening for? What are you paying attention to? What is something where you, like, what are the characteristics of something that you hear and just feel like, oh, that's dope. Like, I want to share that with people everyone's going to want to hear this. They don't know it yet, but they're going to want to hear this. Like we're all doing that. You're doing it with music. How? Yeah. Um, I once heard from Ill Gates, who's a music producer who, who, who offers a lot of like free learning um, for music producers that a variety of inputs yields a variety of outputs. And I think that that has been my strategy with music ever since. I'm not the type of DJ who's gonna stick with one genre all night. Um, I'm the type of one who like likes to put two songs together that are totally unlikely next to each other, but somehow make you wanna, you know, do something different than, than you have before. Um, and so I think that that's really part of it is like the outliers. And, and really like, to be absolutely honest, I don't think there is anything specific I look for. It's just a feeling that I get. It's a tingling feeling or it's a just, I, sometimes I just find a song and I just have a 
fat grin on my face. You know, I'm just like, or I just, or um, sometimes I'll, I'll hear a new song and hear the drop and just be like, oh my gosh, like what? Um, and I think like the world that we exist in today with, with um, the democratization of electronic music and sound design in that form has really like opened up the world for creativity across so many different genres and scales. Um, and yet, you know, I think I find stuff that's like, wow, this is like a total trippy sound design experiment nightmare, you know, crazy scenario situation. And I will also be like, oh my gosh, this soothing soft vocal, you know, the the um, the story that they're portraying or talking about and and kind of just having both of those is really important to me because my body both wants to move in wild and ecstatic and erratic ways. And it also wants to uh, kind of have deeper flowier moments and moments of introspection as well. And so what I think is really what I'm looking for is, is um, resonance. Something resonates with me. And I think that that's kind of the deepest feeling and that's, you know, and that's why I bring it back out into the world because feeling that resonance with other people, allowing other people into that same journey, it creates a closeness and it creates, um, and, and it deepens the resonance when you have that with other people and you create those memories and motions together. And I often tell people, one of my favorite things about walking into a, a dance floor or ecstatic dance is taking a look around the room and seeing um, you know, who's standing out of the crowd, who's really feeling the song, who's picking up on that, like one sound or like motion and like creating something with it that I wasn't seeing before. And now that I see that, I have a big grin on my face and now I'm hearing something new in the song that I wasn't hearing already. And I think so much of what we feel about a song is the memory in our mood when we first heard it. Um, if, if, you know, I have a friend who was like, my first year at Burning Man, camped next to this large sound camp. They were playing loud dubstep all night. I hate dubstep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was trying to sleep and they were just playing loud dubstep all night. And so the first memories he has of it are kind of this like resentment. And I think that that can be true about so many different forms of music. I think, you know, I think in certain ways I have aversion to a lot of different types of music because of that as well. And I you know, try and address those, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think like having a, a good environment to to do that really helps. From from recent visits with you, Kayla, I know that there are creative communities that are practitioners of what I think is a growing trend in you know, immersive theater, immersive entertainment, which is totally you know like the the things where you go away for a weekend and live inside of a narrative. And there's like, you know, they could be fantastical or, or absurd or, or fun, and, and fun seems to be, you know, not taking itself so seriously seems to be a common thread. Um, yeah. You know, that seems like I'm fascinated with this. And I think that it's, it's very early days for these types of experiences. I'd love for you to both, you know, as a, as a, as someone who's experienced these things, like share that for anyone who's not familiar, but also talk about kind of what are the characteristics that hold that community together? Um, what are the things that seem to be attracting people and energy and vitality to those types of experiences? Yeah, totally. Um, 
I, I link a lot of stuff back to ecstatic dance because it's um, in, in the Venn diagrams and the, in the uh, concentric circles that make up the communities of this city. Ecstatic dance has been something consistent in a space where I see people consistently and it's kind of a place of deepening relationships through nonverbal communication. Well, one of the art projects I worked on this last year um, was called The Womb. And we essentially, it was another festival thrown by the same people. And this was at a hotel in Lake Tahoe. And we created a womb in a hotel room, which we built a structure within the hotel room and filled it with a bunch of red squish and uh, red drapes from the ceilings. And it was the womb experience. You had to um, respect the person at the door <laughs> and uh, be invited into the womb with consent. And um, we had you know, a variety of things that we were, we were sharing uh, within the womb once you got in. Um, but we had this kind of you know, rebirthing experience using a um, a breathing mask and a weighted blanket and, um, you know, an umbilical cord that lights up. Um, and so really it's just like a community of people who love, you know, a good pun and just like riffing on that and allowing ourselves to play on a deep, deep level and um, put on a character. Um, another, another project we did was called uh, Tuck You which was a, a tucking in service. Um, so we would walk around with a cot in matching uniforms and ask people when the last time they've been tucked. And if it's been a while, then we uh, get on the floor right there and we tuck them in, we sing them a good night song, um, you know, and, and, and give them all the, the full tucking in treatment. And then, you know, and then wake them up for work five minutes later. <laughs> Say, get out of here. Um, and for that one, you know, I had another character, which was Mother Tucker. And uh, just kind of continuing to riff on just the silliness, the stupidness of it all. Um, and I think, you know, there's a reflection there, which is, um, which is people work really hard in the Bay Area. There's a lot of really deep work ethic. It's the, it's the competitive nature of tech and startups and living in the most expensive city in the world. And um, people, I think what's come out of that is a lot of creativity and um, need for fun when the fun is happening. And so I think people are willing to take it to another level for that reason. And I think that level of play has just opened up totally new worlds of people. And, you know, and these, when I, whenever I step into these festivals, it is again, like finding that warehouse in Bushwick of these people who are making magic happen and just like totally inspiring me, giving me a variety of new ideas and inputs into what's possible and you know a lot of they they referred to a lot of it as immersive theater and when I first discovered it, I was like well I don't know if this is exactly immersive theater but it is I mean they're setting a story there's a lot of characters there's plot lines you have free agency you can run around you can take part in a treasure hunt you can you know you can go and talk to characters you know and the, it happens and the, and the greatest thing about it is it evolves over the weekend you know, if you go to any like normal festival, it's like, yeah, I went for three days and I saw all these artists and like, sure, the artists are different, and, but like, it's mostly the same thing over and over again for those three days. Um, and this one, like the story evolves, the sets evolve, the art pieces evolve, and um, it just kind of keeps you on your toes. And I think that sort of level of play has been really incredible to discover and something that has like, 
inspired me and fed back into my loop of, you know, wanting to DJ within these communities and incorporate DJ sets into this immersive theater thing. Like, how can I create a DJ set as a part of a story and an experience where people feel like they're a part of this thing? I love it. All right. I have one sort of final question and it's, and it's, you know, there was a moment in my early career where I was doing a project that seemed really improbable and, but we did it. And in the middle of that happening, I, I remember the moment vividly where I thought, oh, you can do anything you want. You just have to sort of have the vision, go after it, say you're going to do it, figure out a way, persist through adversity and difficulty and anything is possible. And part of starting this podcast and wanting to share my experience and the experience of others whom I respect was really with someone who has dreams, creative ideas that they don't yet know that that are totally just on the like like within their reach, something that they they could do, but they're dreaming about it and they don't yet know that. <clears throat> and you know, I want this podcast to be a resource for someone like that to inspire them to realize through other people's experience that they can they really can do whatever they want. They can realize dreams. They can innovate in ways that that seem improbable or, or maybe even impossible and with that person in mind right what what advice would you give them what what single thing do you rely on more than anything else or what one kernel of of of, of an idea or or encouragement in a direction would you give that person um you know to sort of be a little wind in their sails on their way totally totally I think a lot of times I think about this along the lines of, of my transition. Um, I don't think I could have ever imagined that I would have the life that I have, that I would feel as comfortable in, in my body and, and with myself and confident and free. And, um, and I think the one piece I think it's really about about just letting go. It's two things. I'd say one thing is it's recognizing what's not being said in the conversation. I think I've noticed a lot of times when I have an idea or when I have a feeling, it's because I feel like there's a piece of the conversation, whether it's musically or you know, literally a conversation that is not being heard. And I think that that is usually a sign that I need to speak up and say something because that is, that is a sign that there's an imbalance and that I am detecting it. And sometimes, you know, I, my voice needs, I need to put my voice out, I need to speak up. Um, and I think that that's kind of been one of those things that's happened over and over and over again. It's like realizing that like, hey, this part's not really happening in this conversation. Nobody's really like giving a lot of shine to this music over here, you know, or we're not talking about this thing. Like, I think just seeing those moments and allowing yourself, being confident in yourself that just because it's not part of the current conversation doesn't mean you're wrong. And in fact, because it's not part of the current conversation, it could be an idea that you're really on to something. <laughs> um, and I think the other thing is, is that you can actually, I, I think that, that was the big thing with fighting gravity too, which is like, you can actually do anything. Like we, we don't need to be quote artists, performers, writers, whatever, we could just be some random people from an engineering school who found, stumbled across a good idea and then just like felt inspired and took it in whatever direction we felt like was possible and, and felt inspired by. Um, I have never found success just based off of raw talent alone. It's always been that I've just recognized something great and 
And even though it wasn't the norm, I stuck with it. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's kind of the crux of a lot of it. Kayla Sharp, I love you so much. I'm, I'm glad you exist in the world. You're a creator of the highest order and I will, I will happily and always be a part of your fan club. Join us next week on episode five of Producing Innovation when we sit down with Karen Dalzell, a top New York-based immersive theater, site-specific theater, and event producer who's been very much on the cutting edge of all of those forms for the last more than 20 years um, and who was a producer who worked with me early on to realize some of the most complicated, most absurdly ambitious projects of my early career and someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for and who I think will have a lot to share for anyone interested in producing innovation. Follow Counts Projects on Facebook and Instagram or check out Producing Innovation on Patreon where you can subscribe to join our community for production updates, behind the scenes access, creative meeting highlights, regular posts from me and the team, special offers, meetups and more. Please remember to rate, share, comment, and subscribe to Producing Innovation wherever you listen to your podcasts.